This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. And today's a big episode, guys, because it's not just the end of the Avengers films, but we're covering a lot of ground today, because we're bringing you both Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame today in a special long-form episode, and I'm gonna have a really great time with it today. Oh yeah. I mean- we figured it would be better than making you wait an entire year for the conclusion. Because we did consider that. I mean, that was always an option. We could have just put the show on hiatus for a whole year and then come back and said, now you've suffered as we have suffered. <laughs> <laughs> but we're nicer than that. Yeah. So uh, we're going to jump right into this since there's a lot of ground to cover. So we're going to kick us off with Genesis reminding everyone that... If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you very much. And I'm going to take over real quick, because though we've got most, if not all, of our players in place and ready to go to go in, into the endgame here, we do have four new characters to discuss. We have the Black Order. They were introduced with a cameo appearance in the New Avengers number 8, September 2013, and fully introduced in Infinity number 1 in October of that year by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Diodato. Membership includes Black Dwarf, Corvus Glaive, Cole Obsidian, Ebony Maw, Proxima Midnight, and Supergiant. And if five of those six names sound like they should be part of a band, there's a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> listen black dwarf just goes straight for the jugular they're the black order and they really need to drive that home so they have very um let's call them edgy names uh yeah very very on point dude's name is call obsidian his name means kill them all black <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it, yeah you gotta love these names um so only four of them made it to the movie, and you all know who those are. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I do not like how completely out of the blue these characters arrive. Uh, everyone just acts like they've always been there. He has four badass, like, hyper-religious cultists following him around now. Whereas throughout all of the movies up to this point... It was, I would say, fairly well established that Thano had the two daughters, Ronin, Loki, and the Chitari priest that Ronin killed. Like, the whole point, that one teaser that where he picks up his Infinity Gauntlet and says, and I guess you gotta do it yourself, or whatever. Like, the whole point was he didn't have backup. And yet, here they are, the Black Order. I don't know. I 
quickly, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, they were very much out of the blue, and edgy names aside, they made a whole lot of plot conveniences because magically there are very skilled, very dangerous individuals who can go toe-to-toe with the Avengers that we just haven't seen before in a movie that's basically a culmination of a billion different plots. We have never seen these guys except for, like, two seconds in a cameo in a end credit scene. Yeah. So I, yeah, they're here. They uh, are only sort of here to stick around for a bit. Uh, so with that all said and done, let's take us into the hot mess that is aboard the Statesman, Shanko. Y- yeah. Um. At the end of our lovely Thor Ragnarok, while Thor is king for all of, what, 30 minutes? <laughs> if that i mean i mean in re- in movie time he may have been king for a day or two uh in transit between asgard and wherever they were going except for the part where transit across the galaxy seems like it should have been pretty fast i mean those gateways that pop up all over the place should have been zip 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 oh here we go that's it like even the you know in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, they went through, what, 700 portals or whatever, and you're not supposed to do more than, like, four, and yet they were there faster to Ego's planet than the Statesman apparently gets from Asgard to being blown up. Yeah, and in in lead up to that, of course, we have our appearance fully of the Black Order, which they picked all the ones with the super, super edgy names. <laughs> intercept the ship with all of the save with all of the Asgardians aboard and Thanos knows that the Tesseract is aboard the ship because of course he does and Thor didn't think that the Tesseract was on the ship he thought it was destroyed or at the very least floating out in space in the destruction of Asgard but no his sneaky adopted brother just can't let that thing go and thus led the bad guys the, the big bad guys, to their doorstep. Loki tries to play double agent, says, uh, you know, I'll give you the Tesseract, then tries to kill Thanos, and then ends up, ooh, needing a chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, uh, but not before uh, one thing that was going to get rep- repeated throughout the movie, over and over and over, is I'm going to hurt this guy until you give me what I want. This is the first ish- instance of this play out throughout the next two and a half hours. And also, uh, we got to put the beat down on the strongest Avenger. And we got to firmly establish which bad guy is the one to fear. As Thanos, Thanos kicks the crap out of the Hulk so badly, he scares him back into himself. Yeah, Hulk is not coming out. Yeah, he just got absolutely obliterated in a way that has never happened to him before and that just lets us know what we're dealing with and the scale that we're dealing with like you said so after the destruction of the ship and thor being cast out into space the lieutenants leave thanos leaves and they're off onto their next stone that they need to collect meanwhile our buddy bruce banner crash lands (laughs) into Doctor Strange's sanctum in New York City. And he warns Doctor Strange and Wong that Thanos is going to destroy half of 
everything in the universe, as was his plan after he watched his planet wither and die. We'll find that out later. That's not a good, that's not a good plan. I like living. No, uh, to put it simply, uh, Thanos is called the Mad Titan for a reason. But also, his, his whole shtick, his entire argument is so flawed and so basically um, sanctimonious and uh, psychotic that, that the, obviously that just killing off half of everything just simply wouldn't make everything suddenly better. That's just not how anything works. But we wouldn't have a plot if we didn't have a genocidal madman to fight right like you gotta have your crazies in order to make the plot work yeah that's the um art reflecting real life thing uh, <laughs> so to speak a anyway <laughs> uh they go off to recruit tony stark because of course this is bad this is bad news bears and they need to bring in all the firepower and all the brains that they can meanwhile ebony maw and Cull Obsidian arrive to take the Time Stone, but unfortunately, there's a little enchantment on that, so they can't just outright take it. Our good guy Peter Parker, Spider-Man, ends up being uh, drawn into the fight because his spidey sense is going off, and with them unable to take the stone, they just decide that they're gonna take him. <laughs> they're like, just take the whole dude. Yeah. And meanwhile, Tony goes to sneak aboard the ship, and tells Peter to stay, but Peter doesn't do that. Okay, in in Spider-Man's entire freaking existence, has he ever listened to Stark? No. <laughs> no, he hasn't. He's learned from the best to just not listen and ask for forgiveness later. Mm -hmm. And Wong stays back to guard the Sanctum, because he can't leave those things unprotected. That would be bad. Mm -hmm. that, that would be a very bad thing to do. Yes. Then, of course, because we have a lot of ground to cover, not just with the films we have to talk about today, but this film had a lot of ground to cover because we're bringing in, like, every team. We've got the Guardians responding to the distress signal from the ship, but it's a little too late to save the Asgardians, Loki, Banner, Thor thinks, and Thor's floating around out in space. Meanwhile, the Guardians show up, grab him. We've got a nice little uncomfortable relationship between Thor and Peter. A little macho rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that one, it's a little cringy, but it was also pretty funny overall. Just like the whole thing. And oh, hey, Thor gets an eye. So, you know, there's that. We don't have to walk around with an eye patch anymore. Yeah. You really should have washed that, though. I uh, know. Let's not think on that. He just, he just sticks that eye right in and ugh. Um anyway, that's some pink right. eye that's some pink eye waiting to happen. <laughs> but I mean would it? It's it's cybernetic. <laughs> uh, I mean uh, like his socket might get infected uh, or okay. something. Yeah. But uh yeah. at any rate, the team decides to split up and they go to this planet that's supposed to be uh giant workshop a forge but when they arrive there the forge has been off for a while and while making their way through the forge they find the dwarf king etri 
and he's a dwarf, but he's he's huge, and it's Peter Dinklage. Yeah, I will say that was an interesting take on the idea of dwarf um, making them giant sized, but then it's obviously a person with dwarfism. Yeah, it, it, was it was very interesting. I I thought that was pretty well done, rather than the classical fantasy of of dwarf who is you know five foot or four foot whatever. Uh, they enlist. They enlist his help. He he's had his hands burned and and like cast in metal because he made the gauntlet for thanos and then thanos didn't want him to create more so he took his hands uh he still has a a mold for the battle axe stormbreaker and they need that axe because thor needs it to channel his power or direct it because he's a conduit but mjolnir was his tool to focus his power and he needs another one and who's Thor without some kind of hammer, right? Right, right. And then, so the team of Thor, Rocket, and Groot are doing this. Quill, Gamora, Drax, and Mantis head off to nowhere because Thor told them, Hey, we left the Reality Stone with Collector like four years ago, guys. So you you need to go get that before Thanos gets it. Yeah, that would be bad yeah and they arrive and they they think that they've gotten the jump on on thanos and they're there getting the big exposition about the reality stone and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath them yeah guess who already got it it's too bad yeah thanos has the stone and he kidnaps gamora Gamora had made Quill promise that if Thanos got her, that he would kill her. And he can't keep that promise. He does. He pulls the trigger. Unfortunately, what comes out of the end of his gun is not blaster shot. It's bubbles. Because Thanos has the reality stone. Yeah. It's just bad all the way around. Uh, But hey, the boyfriend earned the father's approval right before he disappeared with the girlfriend to go sacrifice her. Yeah, because he had tortured the location of the Soul Stone out of Nebula, because Gamora did find the location of the stone and was keeping that information from Thanos because she knew it would happen if he got all- if he got his hands on all those stones. But yeah, Thanos has to sacrifice something or someone he loves in order to get the Soul Stone, and oh yeah, the guardian of the Soul Stone is the Red Skull, but it's <laughs> not what's his name. Hugo Weaving. Yeah, it's not Hugo Weaving. It's like this other guy because Hugo Weaving was like, you want me to wear the Red Skull makeup again and be tormented and uncomfortable? Yeah, no thanks. Especially for what is effectively a bit part. Like, it would have been little more than uh, featured extra almost at this point. Uh, Like, his character to the plot overall matters so little that you could have put anyone else in the role of soul stone gatekeeper and been fine Mm -hmm. but i guess they had to they had to get all the value they possibly could out of the red skull of all characters you know i'm just sitting over here like well you already wasted all my favorite rogues so i suppose the red skull is the choice yeah i well choices were made and can't undo them apparently so so yeah thanos gets a soul stone and that's bad 
<laughs> speaking of choices that can't be undone. Sorry, if I'm going to like to talk about this movie, I have to do some sort of gallows humor or I'm going to actually not be okay because even on a second rewatch of this movie for research here, it was upsetting. They this movie hits like it punches like a freaking freight train. Yeah, we've we've already we haven't even made it to the midway at this point, really, and already we've got most of Asgard, save Thor, and a couple other people, just just decimated. And the Hulk, scared to come out. We've got one of our guardians now just gone. And now, in Edinburgh, Wanda and the Vision have been having a little romance and a little vacation away from their friends, the Avengers, as their team is split and they ended up on different sides of that split. But they love each other and they want to spend some time together. And that turns out to be a bad idea because uh, Midnight and Glaive ambush them. Luckily, in the nick of time... Steve Rogers appears, and can I just say on a personal note that the ruined cap suit and the beard, it's a look, it's great, we love Nomad Captain America, and I wish we had seen a little bit more of him, because then he just went straight back to the, like, the more clean-cut stuff, and I was like, you know what, why you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, he was, like, as soon as everyone kind of reconciles, he stops being Nomad, and it's time to be captain america again so i understood it um but it was a very good look for him and uh scarlett johansson as a uh bottle uh bottle blonde mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and sam wilson so we've got our uh, captain america the winter soldier crew here saving the day <laughs> yet again uh and they rescue them and they take shelter with Rhodey and Banner at the Avengers compound cuz the team is getting back together. The band's back together, guys. We've got our larger cause that's going to mend some friendships. And it was kind of nice to see because we ended civil war with bad blood between everybody and now they got to put all that aside cuz it's it's the world at stake, guys. It's it's Avengers level stuff. I mean, Rhodey was on a phone on a holographic call with Ross at the time that the rest of the team shows up, and Ross tells Rhodey, "You need to arrest them because they're still in violation of the Sokovia Accords." And Rhodey, in classic Stark fashion, hangs up on him. <laughs> if that's not a, the best way to. Uh, explain or like iterate that yeah uh, i'm done being on uh, against you guys it's time to it's time to come back and be friends and teammates again speaking of friends and teammates we have the most awkward hello between two non significant other i don't even know what bruce and natasha are or were it's just awkward we finally put that to freaking bed and never to speak of it again yeah that relationship that was weird and very out of left field and no one asked for yeah yeah i didn't need to see mark ruffalo's chest hair that long in that film but anyway <laughs> uh chest hair aside we are yeah we've got yet more uh team building and and 
things happening. So our girl Nebula escapes her captivity and has the remaining guardians, of course, minus Gamora, meet her on Titan, where Tony and Peter are there to save Strange, and they kill Ebony Ma in the process and crash land, luckily on Titan, where they meet the guardians and have probably the funniest exchange in the entire film. Where's Go- Where's Gamora? I'll do you one better. <laughs> Who's Gamora? I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? <laughs> Thank you, Drax. Yes. Uh, I That one was pretty... I also did like, you know, Parker's interaction with uh, Strange when he's like, Hey, I'm Peter Parker, Doctor Strange. Oh, we're using our made-up names. Spider-Man. It's like, okay, first, kid, you gotta keep the mask on. Like, I... I Something I've noticed throughout all of the MCU is our masked heroes spend an awful lot of time taking the damn thing off. Like, why are you bothering to have it almost levels? Yeah. Parker was in the mask long enough to get on the ship and then it's right back off. I mean, I like the, oh, we're using our made up names now over the Mr. Doctor exchange. Okay. Freaking Nat and Bruce is better than Mr. Doctor, okay? Like, <laughs> that was just painful and not funny. At least Nat and Bruce were just painful and cringy to watch, but we got through it fairly quickly. Well, and their whole relationship was kind of painful and cringy, so <laughs> it's it's just par for the course at this point. We're used to right. it. Right, yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, they're like, hey, is your friend supposed to be doing that? Because Doctor Strange is over there, like, having a seizure or something. <laughs> he really was. He's, <laughs> he's watching all of the millions of possible futures, and only in one does he see a path to victory for the Avengers. Just one. That's... Oof. Like, okay, I, I understand what they were trying to do is is make the stakes so high and so improbable. But, like, seriously, those are the stakes of, like, winning the jackpot or something. Um, heck, I think they might not even be that bad. Um, the point, like, he could have said, we win in 200 out of the 14 million. And that still would have been a fraction of a percent to calculate. But one in 14 million and whatever. It was just like, it was gratuitous, is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And while they're talking about the possibilities and the group's formulating a plan, the guy that they're planning against appears and tries to explain to them why he's not the crazy bad guy because the universe is overpopulated and... This is the only way to restore balance. All right, dude, you couldn't just, like, use these stones that have limitless galactic power to, like, make it to where everyone doesn't starve? Right. No, see, this is, this is the, the, the psychoticness of it, the, the sociopathicness. Like, you look at a problem and go, the problem is the people, not the resources. And it's like, if you can just wipe out half of life, why don't you just create more resources? Again, it's because Thanos is completely self-absorbed and uh, can't see past the end of his freaking nose. So that's one of the problems. And 
The plan that they had formulated in order to subdue Thanos was working, and they were about to get the gauntlet off of him and end this whole thing, but then Peter. Not Parker. The older one that should know better, but who grew up in space with a bunch of, like, criminals for parents, so he probably, like, in reality, just wasn't raised very well, and daddy issues aside. Woof. Peter. Okay, look. Yeah, he has severe abandonment issues. Okay? Straight up. And now he's hearing at the worst possible time that the genocidal madman responsible for trying to kill half of everything killed his girlfriend. Now, this is the part of the story where one of the heroes has to hold the stupid ball long enough to screw it all up. And that is Peter Quill. But... In his defense, there was one in 14 million and whatever possibilities. Peter Quill has to do this because it's the only way they win. So I'm not saying he's justified, but at the same time, it was the only way to to come to a conclusion, right? It's a weird paradox to be in the middle of, I'd have to say. Yeah, and it, it's it was like, dude, why? You had you just had to follow your part in the plan, and I get it. That we would be a very short film, and we wouldn't have gotten a part two if the movie had ended here. But like, why was that the reason? I I don't know. Anyway, they no yeah. End up- it, like I said, <laughs> stupid ball. Exactly. That's what he has to do. Doctor Strange ends up trading the time stone. He willingly gives it to Thanos in order to save Tony's life because in those realities. Tony also has to survive until later on in order for events to transpire, and we'll get there. Right, so now Thanos has the Time Stone, the Reality Stone, the Power Stone, which he took off of screen before the movie started, and the Space Stone. So now it's just time- oh, and the Soul Stone, sorry. So it's now just time to go get one last bit. It's time to take on Earth. And back on Earth, we've got the Avengers sitting around Wakanda, because apparently this is the only place where we can try to take apart the soul st- or the Mind Stone from the Vision. Mm-hmm. They have the technology, and they've also got some barriers so they can funnel the attacks. They're going to war. They're ready to go to battle. They're there to buy time so that they can separate the Stone from Vision, and hopefully end this thing. Hopefully. (laughs) So while Shuri is working and the Avengers are assembling, we see our forces starting to gather. Of course, the Hulk is refusing to make an appearance, so we've got Banner in the Hulkbuster, which I actually really enjoyed seeing him running around causing havoc because he's not used to having control of the chaos. Right, no, I... It was a lot of fun and obviously served as the uh, foundational idea for uh, Big Green later. Um, But yes, we've got our Wakandan forces setting up and ready to face off against the Thanos forces. They wake up, they wake up the Winter Soldier. They give Cap a shield. (laughs) Yeah, though, I think he would have been better off with a more rounded shield because... I mean, they start fighting, and they fight like, well, their lives depend on it, but it's it starts being not enough. Even 
even with the the wins that they they get by killing Midnight and Obsidian and Glaive, things start to go bad. Mm-hmm. And just as they're about to have the tide turned against them, Thor and Rocket and Groot arrive in a blast of thunder, and just in time to reinforce the Avengers. And in Banner's words, you guys are so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. Thor is here and he leaps into battle saying, bring me Thanos! It was great. You know, he's he's taking to heart a lesson he learned at the very beginning of uh, you need to uh, attack quickly, quit talking. Uh, but Vision is on the run. Uh, they weren't able to separate the Mind Stone from him and keep him, like, keep most of himself, keep the Vision, the Vision just without the Mind Stone. That was... That was the part Shuri was supposed to be doing. That wasn't happening. So eventually it comes down to Wanda, who had been exposed to the Mind Stone. She's the only one who can destroy it. And I gotta say, like, oof. That's a heart-wrenching scene. Yeah. It, yes. A, a woman whose entire life, let's be real here, her entire life has been made up of losing those that she loves the most. Her family, her brother, and now Vision. And she has to be the one to take him out. But she does it. She blows basically half his head off, but she takes out the Mind Stone. While the others hold off, very unsuccessfully hold off, uh, a nearly fully powered Thanos. There's just one small problem. Yeah, they really should have tried to get the gauntlet off of him or at least take that time stone because just as wanda thinks she's done it thanos basically gives her a pat on the back and says congratulations you did it but um unfortunately i've still got the upper hand here and he just conveniently reverses time and yanks the mind stone just just yanks it out of there <laughs> yeah y yeah so if it wasn't bad enough to have the have uh, Wanda kill her boyfriend and have him watch him die, we reverse it and then watch him die again because Thanos has absolutely no qualms about it and just yoink, slap that into the gauntlet, toss aside the gray body because he's now just vibranium and goes to start, you know, his genocide stuff. But we get one, we get one last moment where Thor learns the most important lesson of all time. You should have gone for the head. Yeah. And then we get the snap. And as Thanos promises, half of all life across the universe turns into dust. And the people that it chooses to take absolutely devastates what's left of the Avengers. Like, Cap watches his best buddy, Bucky, who he just got back, turn into dust right in front of him. Okoye has to watch her king, the Black Panther T'Challa, get dusted. Groot gets dusted right in front of Rocket. Which, uh, it was confirmed that the line, uh, the I am Groot there, was, I love you, Dad. So, you know, he was, like, that's, oof. That hits. Uh, Wanda is sitting there cradling Vision's body and she just pff, 
Oh, man. Uh, Just listening to Rhodey call for Sam as he just missed Sam dusting. I mean, it's just, ugh. And then back on Titan, everyone except Stark and Nebula bite it. And Spidey's, oh, man. That was all improv, and that hit. (laughs) That still hits. We just got Spider-Man back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're doing a little bit more than sweeping up cobwebs. We've got a whole lot of the team just gone, and it guts the team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Avengers lost. There's no two ways around it, and not just that. They lose the most, some of their most important people. They lose political figure uh, pl- figureheads, but they lose political figures. They uh, they lose the some of their like centers of morale or or you know whatever it it was just oof and then the only in credit we get is is hill and fury they're driving through a city as the snap is happening and at first things are just going weird a car just drove into their lane and then stuff's falling out of the sky and then hill disintegrates Fury, realizing he has maybe moments, picks up a pager, pushes a button, and then dusts. And last, we see Thanos watching a sunrise over a grateful galaxy, or some. Whatever craziness he contrived would be his thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had to wait forever (laughs) to find out where we go after this. Oh, man. Like, there was not a dry eye in the theater when I first saw this. Nobody moved. No, like, there wasn't the usual, like, you know, hustle and bustle of people getting up to leave during the credits. None of that. It was dead freaking silent, except for the sobbing that you could hear going around you. Like, it was just... And it's one of those, like, cultural moments where an entire people i say an entire people but a good majority of the people experience the same thing i'm not you know because i mean this movie raked in a lot of money and that does mean a lot of people went and saw it so there's a shared moment and experience across that you know crosses ages and and demographics and all kinds of stuff that everyone sort of shared in yeah, because at this point, they're gone. They're done. The- Thanos won. The Avengers lost. We have never seen a film end where there wasn't at least some small win for our team. No, we got sucker punched when we thought just for a second that Wanda had done it. It was a victory at a high cost, but they had won. They prevented him from getting all the stones. And then he has his ace in the hole with the time stone. And, and then. The team gets dusted, and we get to watch. Well, our- and then you know you get Thor, and then he nails Thanos with the the Stormbreaker, and you think, okay, he hit something, he stopped him, and then you, know, you should have gone for the head, and he still has enough control to snap his fingers. It's just woof. Uh, but speaking about having to wait until you find out what happens next, let's go to the mid break. Uh, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us this far. And 
are part of the Patreon. Big shout out goes to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You too can join in on the fun by uh, clicking the link in the episode description. For the month of July only, which at the release date of this one is the absolute last day of July, if you join up at the superhero tier, you can co-host with us on our episode covering Spider-Man Far From Home as the patrons episode. So if you want in on that action, it's it's now or never at this point. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and sign up if you haven't already. If you're looking to join us, definitely sign up for the Patreon, and we can't wait to chat with you. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Any five-star reviews will get read out on this part of the show. We don't have one this week, guys. Come on, leave us a review. We want to hear from you. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, uh, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. Link for the Discord will also be in the show description. Speaking of shows on the robots, tell us about the fight space, Shinko. Well, if you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I'm also host of a show called The Fight Space. It's one of the only female-led martial arts shows out there where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts and modern media, cover historical super fights, break down fight scenes in film, and share news from the fighting community. I use my experience training in combat sports to give a unique perspective into the shrouded worlds of martial arts and the people who call this space home. I'm also getting ready to do my first live commentary gig at the time of this releasing. I will have already done that, and I'm sure I will be having an amazing time working WCFL. If you're in Florida, check out the shows next time you see one. It's always a good time. Where else can they find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. We play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel, and I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. It's a lot of fun. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month, and we'll have a new episode actually at the end of this week for you, so be on the lookout for that. And outside of the Robots Network, I have joined Scyther Audio to create the Avengers audio drama, which is a spinoff of their amazing X-Men audio drama series. This will be a years-long project, as I'm the writer, director, casting director, audio engineer, and a voice actor playing the Hulk, which I'm super stoked for. First episode goes up in September, and there is a teaser trailer available out now for you to check out. And if you have any more questions or want to audition for the plethora of characters, please email AvengerAudioDrama at gmail.com. And that will be it for our mid-break. Alright, so it's time to finish this out. What happens next, Shanko? Next, we've entered the end game. A whole year later in theaters after crying and stressing and trying to figure out which of our characters might somehow magically make our reappearance. And now we're back with the team after Thanos has erased half of all life in the galaxy. It takes a little while, but... 23 days after the snap, our girl Carol Danvers rescues the ship that contains a very skinny Tony Stark and Nebula from Deep Space, and she reunites them with the rest of the Avengers back at the compound. So we've got Bruce, Steve, Thor, Nat, and Rhodey, as well as Rocket, and they are all 
searching for Thanos. They want to find out where he went uh, after he snapped everyone. And they find him on an uninhabited planet. And they plan to use the Infinity Stones to reverse the snap. But unfortunately, Thanos didn't want the snap reversed. And he used the stones to destroy the stones. Yeah, that, like, they they found the planet because they knew the energy signature to look for. And there was there was signs that, you know, like two days ago, that another planet had the exact same energy signature on it. So that's gotta be at least where he was. Hopefully is. And they get there and they find a wrecked Thanos. He's limping. His uh, gauntleted hand is a burnt, shriveled-looking, like, raisin. There's a burn that goes all the way up to the top of his head on his left side. I mean, he looks absolutely destroyed, which, considering he walked out of the fight on Earth without barely a scratch on him, that says something. Like, whatever. And they cut off his hand. They don't... There's no... uh diddly dallying around, no waiting, it's a surprise attack, hold him still, draw out the arm, and slice. Problem was, they're basically beating up on a cripple at this point. Yeah, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't putting up much of a fight. The stones did a number on our big purple bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, well, Thor takes his lesson to heart. Yeah, he just goes for the head, and he decapitates Thanos, because... This isn't what they wanted. This is far from ideal. This is worst case scenario. This is beyond the worst case scenario as far as they're concerned, really. Now, there's nothing they can do, or so they think. Uh, yeah, there's, there's so they think, but man, and you gotta, like, Thor's killed. He's thousands of years old, but it's always been on the battlefield. Any life he has taken has been for the glory of Asgard, the protection of Earth, protection of teammates, for a cause. He murdered Thanos. Cold blood, totally premeditated, would do it again in a heartbeat, murdered him. And that is, is, final, is the last straw to break this camel's back. His home's destroyed, his mom's dead, his father's dead, his brother's dead, his people are dead, Except for uh, you know a slight few, his team has failed, and now he's now he's murdered somebody. It's not really much of a question as to why he fell so far down the rabbit hole after this. But yeah, five years later, I'm not gonna lie. When I first saw that, I you know five pops up. I'm like okay, days, weeks, month, no years. Okay, uh, that's bad. Later, that's even worse. Okay. <laughs> yeah, some little rats run around on some keys in the back of a van that's in a storage area, and... The most important rat in all the universe. Like... That lucky rat. That was in, that was in Strange's algorithm, too. He was having his seizure at that, at that point over on Titan, looking at all the, all the futures. And he's like, man, that's an important rat. I hope he doesn't eat some poison while he's a pup coming up. Right. Or or get dusted or whatever. Like, oh my god. Just, he is the most, he is the single most important character in the entire movie. 
and no one thinks this rat. <laughs> but yeah, he hits a couple of the right buttons and Scott Lang pops out of the quantum realm, which is where we left him at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which did come out between Endgame and Infinity War. And it was established that he went in, the snap happened, and all three of the people who were supposed to pull him out got dusted. That's just bad math. <laughs> it, it was conveniently all three. Uh, yes, but yeah, statistically, there were four of them. At least two of them should have come up heads. Yeah. Guess not. <laughs> it's not that's not how Avengers math works. No, no. Uh, but yeah, he uh, pops out and, oh, he's in for a wake-up call. Yeah, his daughter is, like, a teenager now, all of a sudden. Uh, the world thinks he's dead. He's on a memorial wall, and he sees that Hope and, and Hank are on that wall, too, and he has to figure out what's happened. He realizes half the universe gets dusted, and so he shows up at the doorstep of the Avengers, and I want to know how he got close enough to be seen on their perimeter camera. I mean, I know he was one heck of a cat burglar, but come on, you let him get that close? To where they're like, this is the live feed from the outside. <laughs> I mean, I think in that defense, they there probably weren't that many um, things to look out for. Though, I mean, I always kind of wondered what this world, you know, uh, between uh, snaps basically looked like. Yeah, and we get pictures of it. There's there's ships all clustered around uh, the uh, Statue of Liberty. Um, New York is, like, running on, like, very little power, or, you know, it isn't lively or up or anything. Everything is very gray. But, you know, what do the world dynamics look like? You took out, assuming half of all the leadership, so which countries got left with, you know, decent leadership? Which ones didn't? Was it us? Was it Canada? Like... And, you know, which ones got left with just despots who were looking for a moment to uh, rise to the top and take over? And You know what? I think it's time I stop being in charge kind of mentality, guys. Like, I think the best uh, I think the best picture we got of this would be in Falcon and the Winter Soldier when we talk about that, because we see with the, the group, the bad guys and that, that they lived in the world during the snap and preferred it the way that it was because the population was less there weren't overcrowding issues and then they deal with the fallout of undoing the snap as well where everyone that had gotten accustomed to all the extra space was then misplaced again but um to come back to this movie here yeah sorry no you're good um it's it's important to say because it, it it would be interesting and and Scott gets thrown into the world five years after this has happened, so it's had some time to settle in. Uh -huh. They bring him into the compound, and Scott explains that while he was in the quantum realm, five years passed out here, but for him, it felt like five hours. It wasn't just, it felt like, I think he had a like watch or something, and it was five hours for him. He wasn't in there for five years. And it does, it raises some interesting questions about why is it then that um, Janet Van Dyne got so old while she was in the quantum realm? Like, she seemed to age with the rest of time, yet Scott 
is not affected by it or is affected by it differently. But that's for a deep dive into maybe the quantum realm on an episode later or something. Point is, time moves differently in this place that we can access. So what if, for whatever reason, maybe we use it to somehow pop out in different times now? We make it go backwards. And everyone hops on that train. Almost everyone hops on that train. Yeah, they have to go and get some bigger brains. And the first one they find is Tony, and he wants nothing to do with it. He's settled into his life. He drew a lucky lot. He and Pepper are together. They have a beautiful cabin in the woods on a lake and a daughter now. And Tony doesn't want to give that up. Things are relatively peaceful. and. He's living the good life, and doing this crazy idea could ruin all of that for him, and he doesn't want that. So, reluctantly, they leave and go find another big brain, because Banner's figured out a way to combine the brains and the brawn. Yeah, that that one was a weird one, but it is backed up by comic books. Um uh Mr. Fixit, um also uh Professor Hulk. Like there are times where Banner and the Hulk have been one or or whatever. So it made sense. And it was and you can see what I meant by um when I said that the being in the Hulkbuster armor served as the foundational idea to merging his intellect with the, the Hulk's strength. Though it's kind of obvious that it's not quite the same level of strength. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have this soup, like, man, like, if we thought Nat Bruce was cringy, this was worse by far. I, I absolutely hated this scene with the take a picture with the Hulk and would you like a picture with Ant-Man and nobody knows who you are. And then this whole awkward, I don't want to do it now. Everything happened. And it's just like, ugh, way too long. Not necessary. And then the Hulk dabs. Ugh, that too. So yeah, they go on to build the time machine that was Scott's idea. And the initial tests don't go so great. They do achieve time travel, but they cannot control it. Uh, they send Scott in and he comes out as an old person and then as a as a younger version of himself and then as a baby. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Hulk says... That's Scott. He'll grow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. And then, you know, guess who? Once once you give him an idea, no matter how stubbornly he may tell you to go bounce off a pavement wall or something, if it was a good enough idea, he follows through on it. And Stark figures out time travel. And so he shows up to finally lend his assistance because instead of allowing Scott to pass through time, they passed time through Scott. And that was how the, all of those different like versions of Scott kept showing up because they did it backwards and it could have killed him, should have killed him, might have at some point. And they, there's no way to know. <laughs> In some realities. Right. In some realities, they do kill him, and that's why it's not the one out of 14 million. I would have liked to see a point when, like, he comes back a skeleton, 
and they're like, oh crap, put it back. Bring back Scott. But hey, um, so the team's getting back together, but we need one more guy to flesh this out. And they send Banner and Rocket to Norway. Oh no. Yeah. Thor's really let himself go. I didn't think that the Asgardian metabolism would allow for that, but um, we I get- I mean, Volstag. Yeah, but that's like accurate to the lore. Okay, sure. But I mean, I get the feeling that the Asgardians basically, if you allow a large caloric intake and don't exercise, then yeah, you uh, you give up some of that uh, that superhuman body. Yeah, but I mean, he's he can still he's still powerful. Oh yeah, so he's still Asgardian. Exactly. So he's uh, definitely let himself go. He is a drunk. He's only interested in trolling teens on the internet and drinking beer and being depressed because he's been through some stuff. And while we understand, now it's time to rejoin the team, brush the crumbs out of your beard, drink a little less, and get yourself in gear. Yeah, but he doesn't believe at all. It's a good thing they sent Rocket, is all I'm going to say, because Banner's approach of sympathetic friend who's just trying to like here man here's the rope all you gotta do is take it all you gotta do is exactly what i'm telling you to do right now and like thor's having none of it rocket's like we got beer come on (laughs) thor says what kind (laughs) (laughs) as if it would matter right yeah because at this point it's just drink enough to keep the pain and the memories at bay, please, for the love of everything. Speaking of someone who is in pain and in need of a desperate the- therapy session. Therapy indeed. Our guy Clint has been doing some not-so-savory things after the snap because of the people that got dusted, his entire family gets dusted. Not just half his team, but like his wife and his kids right in front of him. He goes from cooking hot dogs and teaching his daughter archery to having nothing. And in the interim, he has admittedly been killing very bad people, but an awful lot of them, and in brutal fashion. And he's in Japan, and they send probably the only person who can talk him back from the edge that he's standing on. And Natasha tells him that they have got a crazy plan, and they're gonna get his family back. And it's time for a time heist. Yeah. I did love the planning, like, the the planning part of it, whereas they're trying to figure it all out. You know, and they're going through all the notes, and everyone's giving their sob stories, or just the, oh my god, this is our lives now kind of shtick. But the realization that the time stone is in New York, always. Well... At one point in time, three Infinity Stones were in New York. And that's important because they have very few resources, the Pym Particles, to take the team through time and get them. So they gotta be exact and quick about it. So the idea of three of them being in the same place at the same time was very, very good. And so they're like, okay, we'll send a team to 2012 and get the Time Stone the space stone 
and the Mind Stone. Knock those three out. They send a couple others off to 2014 to pick up the Power Stone and the Soul Stone. Though, why it had to be exactly when Peter Quill was getting the Power Stone, I'm not exactly certain. Maybe because they know for a certain it's there at that time. But they could have gone maybe the day before gotten it, and there wouldn't have been this whole thing. Oh, and worst case scenario, they camp out overnight, and it's time travel, so it doesn't really matter. Right, I guess. And then uh, our last stone is oh, in Asgard in 2013, and Rocket and Thor got to go get the reality stone while it's in uh, Jane Foster. We get a nice little cameo appearance from uh, from Natalie Portman, so that was cool. And Thor gets to see his mom again after years of having lost her. And I think it's touching and, and wonderful that they did this for him because he needed that pep talk at that time. And she's the only person who could have given him that at that time. Yeah, uh, no, that was very, very important for Thor. Um, and we will we'll come back to why uh, in a second. So... <laughs> The mission in 2012 goes two out of three. Problem is, it was supposed to be a home run. It couldn't be anything less because it was only enough PEM particle for one round trip or basically from the present to the past and back. That's it. And we get the Mind Stone from the Scepter with a clever use of Hail Hydra from Cap, which also acknowledged at the time the whole... Hydra Cap fiasco in the comics. Trust me, that was a fiasco. No one asked for it. No one liked it. And it was redone very quickly. And hey, I got to see Frank Grillo and Calvin Mulvey return as their characters who are so ill-fated. Right? Yeah. And you, you got the little, like, nod to the elevator fight because it's like, mm, Cap's not supposed to be here. Maybe we should take him out. Oh, he's actually on our side. And maybe maybe they're referencing that one comic book that we don't talk about, where Cap is the Hydra sleeper agent himself, and he drops the Hail Hydra line at the end, but we don't got to talk about it, okay? Right. Uh, and the Hulk manages to, you know, look like the Hulk across uh, battle-torn New York. And what I meant, like, when I said that he didn't seem to have all of the strength of the Hulk, that is because when the Hulk is unleashed, he is rage. And fury, and it's just unbridled and completely just on the loose. There is no holding back. When you mix Bruce's intellect with it, there becomes a natural state of holding back, of pulling the punches, as it were. And he does not get into the savagery. So, like, he looks like the Hulk, but he doesn't talk like the Hulk, and he certainly doesn't act like the Hulk. But he manages to make his way over to the Sanctum Satorum and grabs the Time Stone after a very interesting conversation with the Keeper, who was not Doctor Strange at the time. Yeah, we get a reappearance of Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One, and while Banner's explaining their crazy story, she has the exchange with him explaining how time travel works. She says... While you take the time stone from here, that benefits your time, it doesn't benefit mine. Bruce explains he's going to bring it back. She says that has to guarantee victory, and the thing that sways her mind is that the one who's supposed to be the best of them, Doctor Strange, gave the time stone willingly. 
up. She knows that he would not have done that if it hadn't been the only way, so she herself gives him the time stone. Yeah. So, yeah, and that, like, Bruce had been adamant that it doesn't matter what happens because of, you know, of physics, but he didn't take into account that the moment you change something here, it branched off and it will do something else. So, yeah, you and your time flow are good, but everyone else in the other one isn't because, like, the time stone was absolutely necessary to save the world from Dormammu. It was. 100% absolutely necessary. And if he, if Strange didn't have the Time Stone at that time, the world goes into chaos and becomes part of the One. Done. However, like I said, it was only two out of three. It was almost there. But Tony forgot he told the Hulk to take the stairs after the beatdown with, Lo- with Loki. Yeah, and he gets absolutely wrecked. By the Hulk coming out of the stairwell, drops the Tesseract right in front of Loki, who then promptly dives on it and disappears. Yep. Which kicks off the television series Loki. But very much just ends this, like, this time stream is now definitely branching off into something else. We get a better explanation of that branching again in the Loki series, but... Tony and Steve have to think on their feet. Where can they go? Because they only had one round trip each, but that doesn't mean they can't jump from this time into another time and try to save the stream. So they're trying to think, where can we go where the Tesseract and Pym Particles would have been at the same time? And there happens to be one place they just think could be the place. And that would be in at Camp Lehigh, in 1970, at what would have been a very early S.H.I.E.L.D. base. There is a lab there that belongs to Hank Pym, where he's working on the Pym Particles, so there are Pym Particles present there. Theoretical. Yes. (laughs) Mm, Theoretically. They're not there, though. And the Tesseract is just, like, conveniently stored in a not-so-safe safe area. Yeah, you gotta love the 1970s. Like, one pair of futuristic glasses and you basically just waltz right in. Though they do kind of uh, trip some alarm bells along the way. But yeah, uh, Stark ends up meeting his dad, who is about to have Tony, uh, and gives his own father his own advice, which is just hilarious. So what what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right, yeah, it it becomes it becomes cyclical uh, cyclical in that in that fashion, doesn't it? So who knows? And also we get Rogers checking in on his love, the love of his life, Peggy Carter, who is trying to keep some semblance of order in this Shield base. Obviously, it's 1970, so she's older. They did a really good job with the age makeup. But it's still very much, it's very much his lady love, and he's probably running through what his life could have been if he had been able to go to that dance hall with her after saving the day. Luckily, Pim did have some particles. (laughs) Yeah, that's lucky. And they managed to make their jump back to the present day, Tesseract in hand. Uh, We go back to Asgard now to catch up 
with Rocket and Thor, where they're going to extract the ether, the reality stone, from Jane. And the original plan is for Thor to swoop in and uh, woo his his lady, and um, this unconfident, off-his-game drunk Thor... (laughs) who's been through some emotional distress, is not quite the suave, handsome, Shakespearean Thor that Jane would have known in that time. (laughs) I think that she definitely would have realized that there was something wrong, especially given that she's one of the smartest people in universe. Yeah, I mean, she's just seen Thor, and he was, you know, uh, fairly well put together in his armor. His hair was clean. Yeah. (laughs) He looked like he had bathed. (laughs) That would have been a bit jarring, I think. She might have also noticed, like, a smell. Right? Yeah. Uh, Just, I don't know how they thought that plan was gonna work, but obviously it didn't. So Rocket improvises and, well, just does it while Thor is having his heart-to-heart with his mom. And we finally end with him calling his hammer. Because because the hammer was still important. If he could wield Mjolnir, then he was still worthy. He still had worth. And lo and behold, the hammer comes to him. And he takes it back with him to the future. I, I do have to wonder what other Thor might have thought. Uh, well... I mean, he was a little distracted, but... I, I And theoretically, the hammer's only going to be gone for, you know, a fraction of a second. But, uh... I do have to know what Thor at that time thought if he did just see his hammer flying away. (laughs) Right, yeah, that would have been definitely a a cause for confusion. But he gets the hammer, he says, I'm still worthy, and then they go back to present day, where they meet up with the team. We've still got a couple more people to catch up with, though, because we've still got a lot of stones to collect. So... Barton and Romanoff and Nebula and Rhodey travel back to 2014, where Nebula and Rhodey go to Morag to get the Power Stone, and Barton and Romanoff are going to get the Soul Stone. I'll, I'll admit, the only things they knew about Vormir were that Thanos and Gamora went there, Thanos came back with the Soul Stone, and no Gamora. It is theorized that he must have murdered her to probably get the Soul Stone. It does feel uh, a little plot contrived that our two bloodied Avengers are the ones to go get the Soul Stone. What do you What do you think about the happenstance of that? I mean, Natasha doesn't put a whole lot of value on her life because she doesn't have her own identity and we'll see in the Black Widow standalone film where a lot of that trauma comes from and she thinks that by doing this saving the day she can clear her ledger for the final time and Clint feels like he has nothing left to live for because his family is gone and he's committed atrocities across the world in their absence and what kind of why do, why does he deserve to live when he's done that it and on top of that they've got their friendship and you know his clint's kids call her auntie nat and they've been best friends we've seen that relationship develop since the avengers and now they have to fight basically 
to decide which one of them is going to die. And yeah, they're killing each other to to die. It's it's weird. But uh, finally, Natasha is the one who kind of gets the upper hand, kind of just convinces him that it needs to be her. And she makes the plummet off the side of the cliff and Clint gets the soul stone. Meanwhile, back on Morag. Yeah, they're watching Peter do his little song and dance. And it's really funny to see it from the other side. Because it was, it was fun and jazzy. When it's with the big words and, you know, the, the, the grand intro that it is. And then you look at it from a guy who's just listening to his music, singing by himself. It's sad. It's, it's funny sad on that level. Like, man, oof. So yeah, they knock Peter out and just take the power stone. And we have a real nice heart-to-heart about, you know, who are we? Uh, is the sum of our parts greater than the whole? Because both of them have been kind of remade by technology. She for- more for- much more forcefully than he was, but yeah. And I thought that was a really nice in- moment. Could have gone on maybe just a touch longer, but not too much, I think. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Nebula should not have made the jump back in time. They didn't know this, but um, Nebula's consciousness, I guess, exists on a server of some sort that Thanos has access to. So the Nebula in that time is on the same database as the Nebula from the future. And this allows Thanos to hijack and shut down the reformed nice-er Nebula. (laughs) I didn't want to say nice, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he finds out that he succeeded in his mission and that he made the world that he wanted. But he was dead. And he decides, we're going back too. So Nebula from the past steals the piece that differentiates her from the Nebula of the future and impersonates future Nebula to hitch a ride back to present day so she can open the gate for thanos oof yeah that was and apparently it was all synced that whenever they were supposed to come back to the same point all of them did at the same time regardless of when it was they hit the button well they could have been in the they could have been in the past for days but when they hit the button they jumped back to just after the moment they left all of them together at the exact same time. And then the news hits, right? Because everyone's like, all right, we got all of them, but hey, where's where's Nat? And Clint's got to explain what happened on Vormir. There's, especially considering the next big death that comes in this movie, the, the way the Avengers had to kind of gloss over Nat's death, but we get to have a full funeral later for another avenger it felt it, there is a very big disconnect uh i will say what do you what do you feel about how the avengers processed losing natasha versus what we have later i mean natasha was very much that as if they didn't need something to up the stakes they've now lost a core member but they didn't want to i i hate to say that they didn't want to kill off someone more important but they didn't want to kill off someone more important. <laughs> yeah. And you know, let's just um let's just kill the chick 
who's only here because she's hot, I guess. And, I mean, yeah. And also, uh, because this is, you know, pre-COVID and everything, there had already been, uh, I think, pre-production work being done on the Black Widow. So it was like, like, I knew that going into the movie, that there was going to be a movie about the Black Widow later. And it's like, so you kill her off to give her an origin movie? Like, what are we doing here, Marvel? And I will say that's a problem for Phase 4, but we'll talk about that when we get to Phase 4. In the meantime, we have some stones to unite, don't we? Mm-hmm. So, reuniting in present day, the Avengers place all of their found Infinity Stones from across time into a special gauntlet designed by Tony Stark, and the Hulk volunteers. Bruce volunteers. Thor volunteered first, but let's be real here, no one wants that drunk anywhere near a cosmically powered anything, much less the stones. Mm-hmm. No, it had to be. Yeah, had to. Because apparently the most amount of radiation it gives off is gamma. Why, how, or I guess did we need to fit gamma into the script somewhere and that's just where it made sense? Who knows? Well, I mean, the Tesseract is canonically giving off gamma radiation as well. We had that as a whole plot point in the Avengers, but it does seem like an awfully far thread to pull in. A little bit, yeah. It's like, we could have just said, the Hulk is the most durable. It's like, nothing's killed him yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. They could have just done that. Yeah, that would have been too easy, though. So, they vol- he volunteers to do the snap, but unfortunately... Nebula's not the nebula that we knew, and she opens the time machine to transport Thanos and his entire warship to the present, which he then uses to blow up the Avengers compound, and all hail breaks loose in defense of the gauntlet, playing keep away. It's like a big game of flag football, but they're fighting they're fighting aliens from space. Yeah. Uh oof. Yeah, so yeah, the ship breaks the Avengers compound as it comes into the present. Um uh, we get this really like kind of awful moment as the Hulk who is now like half of himself because the arm that had the gauntlet is just as shriveled up as 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 that Thanos had been. Uh but he's trying to hold up a thing to keep Rocket and Rhodey from drowning. Um and the core three go out to meet Thanos, who had one of the best foreshadowing lines in the entire movie of the arrogant never see their downfall or something. Like, like he is so full of hubris, he can't even, he can't even see it in himself. But yeah, he sits out there and waits for, which is obviously a trap for the, the three of them, uh, Cap, Iron Man, and Thor who suits up. He's still a large guy, but now he's got the braid, the war braid. He's got armor on, and he's ready to go. And the three of them take on Thanos. And I love seeing them combine the the shield and the hammer and Iron Man. I love watching them come together for that fight. But they clearly are going to be outmatched very quickly. Thanos is now prime again. He's, I mean, I don't think age is really a a factor, but he's not half blown up by doing the snap. So he's healthy and durable. He's the guy that 
bodied the Hulk earlier. Right, yes. And though he's not powered by, you know, the Power Stone or anything else, he is still very formidable. And he takes the core three. Like, he he wipes the floor with them, let's be honest. Um, We get some really nice moments, especially when, uh, you know, Mjolnir gets tossed aside and then gets pulled by Cap. Like, that moment was phenomenal. Watching, uh cap fight with the hammer and the shield like pulling off the sonic boom move behind thanos at the moment like it showed off his uh it showed off cap's ability to uh monitor the terrain and and work with what was around him and, you know that tactical mindset like it was just right there so that was that was good i felt like and what was it like for you in the theater because when i went and he pulled the hammer for the first time and it it cuts to that bit where he's standing there with the shield and then he catches the hammer and then he turns and you see it and like we had gotten that teeny little teaser in age of ultron when he was the only one to budge the hammer but to see him fully wield it this time the theater where i was at exploded same i just just cheers like you almost couldn't hear thor's line of i knew it like you almost couldn't hear him over the the crowd just going crazy and i loved how excited thor was because he had an he had an inclination he had to know that cap totally could have picked up the hammer at that point i think it was even said that cap made a conscious decision not to he he knew he could but he did he chose not to at that point and Finally, like, we get that because we've always thought if anyone was worthy, it'd be Cap. You know, he's he's the ultimate good guy. He always fights for a just cause. And now we have it. And now we now we know definitively. And and Thor was so happy. He was like, I knew it. And he's grinning ear to ear. And then they're they're when they continue fighting, too, they've I mean, he's got Stormbreaker and Mjolnir going interchangeably. And he even says, no, I want the big one. Right. Uh, but yes. So unfortunately, even even with Mjolnir and everything going their way, it doesn't go their way. Thanos wipes the floor with them and he breaks Cap's shield. Um, and we get that moment of uh, as Thanos, you know, shows off his his army and everything. And, um, you know, Cap stands back up one more time tightens that what's left of the shield on and it's like okay you know he has just made the decision to die he knows he's going to die out there if he goes if he goes to fight thanos but he's going to go fight thanos and then we get on your left because the snap did work and if we know anything about our heroes it's that it doesn't matter where they reappeared or how quickly they need to snap to attention they know that a job has to be done and all the portals open up, and through those portals come all of their reinforcements. The Wakandans, the, you know, what's left of uh, the other forces. We get the reappearance of the Falcon flying over, everyone's back in force, and we finally get our line. <laughs> They've teased it. They've cut it off. We we have had the Avengers, but we have never heard the famous line, Avengers assemble, and we finally get it. 
and they all charge into battle against Thanos. Man, if you thought the theater went crazy when Thor or when Cap wielded Mjolnir, Avengers Assemble almost took the roof off. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. And it, I will say it was very clever of them to wait until every Marvel property that I had ever had in these movies showed up to fight. So everyone gets to be an Avenger. And we all assembled here now. Like, it was very clever. Um, if you weren't paying attention, you might, you know, you wouldn't have, maybe you wouldn't even caught it. But anyway, and then we get the biggest dumb game of keep away ever. <laughs> yeah, the the gauntlet has to be run quite literally <laughs> as all of our heroes get a turn keeping the gauntlet away from Thanos' forces while everyone does their best in battle. We get to see some of the best combinations of fighters I think we've ever seen in a Marvel film because they had to. This was the big one. So if they're going to have a big battle scene, we're going to have a big battle scene. And I loved when Peter gets blasted out of the sky and Carol shows up and she's like, hi, Peter Parker. I mean, Parker's like curled up under a rock, just like clinging to the gauntlet with everything he has. He's like, Hi, I'm Peter Parker. And she's like, hi, Peter Parker. And it's like, uh, it was funny. I expected a little bit better out of Parker. But at the same time, he's a high schooler. And he's being, like, shot at from aliens in outer space. It's it's a whole thing. He's had a steep learning curve with the superhero thing, man. <laughs> yeah, as, as Spider-Mans go, that one, he has the steepest, I would say. Uh, we also got, like, touching moments across the fights beforehand. Um, like, uh, Parker re- you know, reunited with uh, Stark, and he's babbling about, you know, I must have passed out, and then, like, the wizard's like, hey, we gotta go, and here we are, and, you know, just a big hug. Uh, you get Star-Lord meeting up with the time-displaced Gamora, which is unfortunate. I loved seeing I loved seeing Pepper in her own suit flying around and blasting finally on in on her own, you know. Yeah, pulling her rescue uh persona, which was awesome to see. But yeah, and then yeah, it's time to it's time to kinda bring this to an end here, huh? Mm-hmm. So finally they've got the gauntlet, they've uh reunited the teams, we've had all of our moments. And finally, eventually, um, Thanos decides to play his last move, and he calls down the the last strike from his ship and blows up the battlefield, trying to take out as many people as possible, and he doesn't care if his own forces get wiped out, too. Thanos overpowers, Carol seizes the gauntlet, and then Tony jumps in, and they have a short fight. Thanos throws him aside like he's nothing because we figured he wasn't going to last that long. And when he drops his I am inevitable line and snaps, thunk, nothing happens. Yeah, and I am Iron Man. <laughs> and Doctor Strange holds up his single finger and says, this, is, this was the one, you have to do this. Tony snaps, gets rid of Thanos, ends the battles, just dusts his entire army. Thanos has to watch his entire army get dusted before he himself dusts. And Tony doesn't look so good. 
No. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, man just wasn't meant to hold that much energy, even if it was held at bay by one of the most sophisticated pieces of uh, tech in the in the known universe, in all honesty. Um, he is dying. He's been exposed to a massive amount of radiation. Um, force, concussed, uh, burnt pretty much a third of his body to a crisp. And um, he, he finally gets to rest as, as Pepper lets him. It was not the outcome he wanted. He had, he had his kid. He wanted to go back to that. Um, but the superhero life had its calling and he had to answer it. Yeah, there was no time to let someone else take the sacrifice play. It was him or nobody. And it's a crazy, crazy end to his character arc because he was known to be selfish but not selfish. He said he wasn't the guy. He would always come up with another solution, but he was also always self-sacrificing and this was the final act for him. And we have to close out with a funeral for Tony, which, like you said earlier, he gets a full funeral when Natasha just kind of gets... She's the one that rallies the team, I guess. If She was kind of like the Coulson from the Avengers. Yeah. Mm. Yep, basically. She's she's the rallying moment and starts the actual... It's... Again, you can say the Avengers didn't have time to do a proper funeral or... And also this movie was already hitting three hours at this point. Mm-hmm. And who knows how long it was actually it actually was before stuff was cut for time, right? Come on, guys. Give us the five-hour mega cut that we've always wanted. <laughs> right? Uh, so it could have just been, you know, the movie doesn't have time to do two funeral scenes. It, there's a lot of reasons why I can say I can say that. But ultimately, it's it's not right either way. If you're going to kill off someone as important as Natasha and Stark, and only one of them gets a touching funeral, that's that's not equal service. End of discussion, in all honesty. And it's kind of, the guest list was a little bit weird, too. There were a lot of people there that were like, you barely knew this guy. Like, Quill met him, like, I guess I can understand why Quill would be there, because they've been together for a little bit at this point, but like, uh, future Go or past Gamora, <laughs> I I I fail to I fail to wonder I fail to understand why she would want to attend the funeral. This guy that she barely knows, and we see in subsequent films that she doesn't really care about what's going on with the rest of them because she's not the person that we knew. She's time displaced now. Yeah, she's she's the Gamora before Quill meets her on Xandar. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, she was already leaning towards betraying Thanos at some point, and we were up to that moment. But then it was found out that Thanos won. And so, yeah, she realized that maybe standing against him was a fast way to end up dead and turned away from from it until until future Nebula was like, hey, no, we become family. And it kind of brings her back. But she's not the same Gamora. So yeah, I don't know why she was there other than the fact Gamora was in the movie and thus she needed to be there. Like, that's really all I've got. I mean, we we even get a surprise cameo appearance from the kid from Iron Man 3. 
who has only this moment in the entire movie. Yeah. Um, after Tony's funeral, Thor decides that Valkyrie should be the new king of Asgard. Because Thor is going to go off into the galaxy to join the Guardians for a little while. Thor is an adventurer. He is a hero at heart. And though he may have been groomed to become king, he isn't king. And we saw that when he got most of the Asgardians killed, fleeing the f destruction of Asgard. So yeah, he's, he's not a king. He doesn't feel like he ever was. And that's good for him. Mm-hmm. And then we got one last thing to do, and I did not care for it. So you take this one. So Steve goes back in time. He has this moment with his friends Sam and Bucky before he steps back into time to return all of the stones and Mjolnir back to their times, their places in history. And I, I have problems with this too, and the thing that I want to bring up, right? is that Bucky is just, like, freshly off ice. Like, they just let him out of cryo. He has not yet gone through the events of Falcon and the Winter Soldier where he did an awful lot of mental reflection and healing. Um, you mean to tell me that you just got your best friend back, the guy that you almost didn't want to fight to the point of almost dying in Captain America the Winter Soldier, the guy that you went to war and busted up the Avengers over in Captain America Civil War. You mean to tell me you're just going to be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my best friend now that all this is over because there's like a chance that I could be with this woman who I, in my mind, has gone off, gotten married, had kids, and, and had a wonderful life, even though I wasn't present for it. Yeah, and, oh, like, okay, you, in watching the scene again, uh, you knew Bucky knew Steve wasn't coming back. Yeah, because he, nod he nods, he looks at him, they make eye contact, he kind of, like, smiles and gives him this little tiny nod, and there's a lot of, uh, I have to give props to Stan and to Evans, because they did bring a little bit of nuance to this that I think did go missed on the first watch. Uh but I just have such a hard time believing that Steve's like, you're good? And that Bucky is? Like, I understand wanting your friend to be happy, but I have to believe that Bucky still needed Steve. And I have a hard time believing that Steve would abandon him after everything he's done prior. Right. I, uh, like, also, one, I think uh, Captain, uh, the Captain going back and putting all, this, all the stuff back in its place would have made a great like mini Disney plus series. Yes. But that's a that's a side tangent. I cannot believe that a man of action like Steve Rogers could have gone back in time and sat through the things of sat through the history of the world up to that moment and done nothing. And not changed an awful lot. Cause like he busted up the Avengers over a friend. He literally almost let the world die in the Winter Soldier because he wouldn't fight his best friend. And you mean to tell me that he would have sat back and let 9-11 happen? Uh, he would have let the Vietnam War go the way it did? There's, like, I just cannot believe it. Yes, Rogers probably did deserve to have a life. Of course he did. But not that one. I'm sorry. 
sometimes you don't get the thing you want. That's a part of life too. And also, as with everything in this movie has set up with the time stuff, he went back and changed something. It should have branched off. We never should have had an old Steve Rogers in that present. The only way he should have been able to get back to that time stream was via the machine. And he didn't go through that. He was apparently sitting there the whole time, which just boggles my mind because apparently that should have been like a locked down top secret area doing, you know, highly dangerous time stuff. So nothing about that scene makes any sense at all. The only thing that the only good thing to come out of it is is Sam becoming the new Captain America. Like, if you wanted that to happen, I think there could have been like a hundred other different ways to do it, and it would have made a hell of a lot more sense. I do appreciate that Sam was the one who got the nod, the blessing, so to speak, from Cap, because Bucky's not the guy right now. I think the Bucky at the end of the Captain America, or uh, the Bucky at the end of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier could have been in the talks for, for the mantle of Cap. At this point in time, he is still a mentally unstable, unsure human who is very skilled, but maybe isn't that shining beacon of hope that the world needs. Like, he's still very, he's still very much a, a wanted murderer, assassin, despite not being in control of any of that. He still did it. He's still the guy. He's still the guy with the training, with the buzzwords that could make him go crazy. He's now better from that, but... Yeah, they did, they... They mentioned that they got those scrubbed out, at, like it's mentioned later in the series. But by the by the events of the movies, those have been scrubbed out of his head. So that that was good. But yeah, he's still plagued with the night terrors and the guilt and all of that. So yeah, he would have been a terrible pick for Captain America. Whereas you have Sam Wilson, a a man, with no genetic interference, no like top secret, you know. Uh, laboratory work on him or anything just a guy top you know peak athleticism you know levels of humanity there but you know just a man nonetheless and him getting to be captain america was a fantastic idea and a really good thing to do and of course like we talked about in several different episodes is backed up in the comics mm -hmm. don't care for the decisions that were made that lead us into uh the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but that's for that to sit that show when we get there. So yeah, that's it for these two, and it's crazy that this was a film event that happened, <laughs> and that's all I can really say. And it came at a moment of history that you know, looking back, uh, was peak levels of cinema. Just just the historical context of it all. It's 2019. Movies, you know, movies are experiencing a boon like they have never experienced before this and its predecessor sparked off you know they were like 1.5 billion dollars uh like individually or something or together i forget which way it is but it really doesn't matter point is billion dollar movies with a b almost unheard of it was a historical moment and there were moments in both of these films that are big cultural moments like i can talk to people that aren't even really big Marvel fans who will talk about how cool it was when everyone cheered in the theater because Cap got the hammer. And by that same note, people that aren't even really big fans of 
the superhero movies who will say, wow, when everyone got dusted at the end of that movie, I was so shocked. I didn't think that was going to happen. You never see it when the heroes lose. Right. Uh, yes. And it's, you know, that's made for a certain effect. You know, the heroes don't lose. Or if the narrative calls for them to hit a low point, like it's been foreshadowed somewhere that if you were just paying attention to the plot, he could totally do it. You know, they can totally return to the status quo, the normal, the win, whatever. And that was not the case here. It was you had to beat Thanos. And they didn't. And that was it. Yeah, I mean, I would put the a couple of moments from these movies, like, especially the Hammer thing, Avengers Assemble. I mean, it's up there with uh, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, def- like, definitely heading that way. And that's me. I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, ultimately, this series of films closed out so many storylines and gave us leaping off points for the next phase while also staying true to itself and and i think that's one of the things that was done well in these films is that even though it had all the interconnectivity with the rest of the series and we had so much ground to cover with characters it still did a good job of making us care about individual stories and there isn't one team that i felt got neglected in that yeah, I will I will give you that one absolutely because like the first one focused on the characters that got dusted absolutely, but it also came back around for the second one to like cuz like even between both of them you still had to focus on Captain America and the Black Widow and of course they got to carry over into the second one. But yeah, they they got plenty of of screen time as it were. So yes, uh, after after that, we uh, we head into our patrons episode, which, as we have said, is going to be a full episode as we discuss Spider-Man: Far From Home, which I feel like acts as an epilogue to Phase Three because it doesn't really kick off Phase Four at all. It kind of wraps up a couple Spider-Man things. Uh, and it really touches on, you know, Stark's legacy. And that's why it's kind of acting as an epilogue and will also end our season four here. So with that, we like to thank you all. And we'll catch you next week with Spider-Man. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In Seven Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. 
And, to quote Stan the Man, enough said. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Podcasts.